Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into the lithium markets and looking at a number of projects around the world, really drilling into uh, the dynamics of the market as well. And to do that, we're kindly joined by the CEO of Cadence Minerals, uh, Kieran Morzaria. Kieran, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Uh, it's a pleasure as always, Jonathan. So, regular listeners to the podcast will be familiar with Cadence Minerals. You presented at the UK Investor Magazine Metals and Minerals uh, Conference back in February, where the focus is very much on on the Amapa Iron Ore Mine, which you know everyone understands is your flagship project. We will touch on that later on in the podcast. But today, Kieran, what we're going to be focusing on is lithium. You've got a number of uh, lithium assets, which we will discuss as we get into the podcast. But to start with, we're going to be looking at, you know, the overall uh, lithium market, the dynamics uh, of the market uh, initially. But before we do that, for those people that aren't familiar with Cadence Minerals, would you be able to give us a a quick breakdown of, of who you are and where you're operating, please? Yeah, absolutely. So Cadence Minerals is a investment company listed on AIM. Uh, We invest in the uh, metals that we see and minerals that we see are critical for uh, the future of the electrification of vehicles in particular. Um, And so that uh, covers everything from, um, in our case, the portfolio covers both uh, lithium, rare earth and iron ore, uh, because iron is used in the manufacture of of vehicles uh, as well. So we, we, we invest across those assets. Uh, we take both uh, private equity stakes in, in the sense that we take an active involvement in the management of those assets, as well as um, we take passive stakes in, um, in publicly listed stocks. And, and particularly, that's the case for lithium assets um, that we've been investing in recently. Fantastic. So... Now, Kieran, you know, looking at you know the, the potential metals to invest in when you're looking at the EV market, there's of course you know four or five key ones. But you know, looking at the portfolio of Cadence, there seems to be a, you know very much a focus on lithium. But personally, for you, Kieran, wh- where does that focus come from? You know, why not um, cobalt or uh, graphite, for example? What what's the uh, particular attraction of lithium? Well, in pretty simple terms, uh, for electric vehicles, uh, for clarity on electric vehicles, there is really no substitute or there is no current substitute that has gone down this sort of Moore's law of, uh, of cost per kilowatt hour um, uh, to, re- to replace it. So whatever battery chemistry that we end up with, whether it's a low nickel, high nickel, zero cobalt, lithium fluoride phosphate, um, these all these different types of batteries technologies, which I believe there will be a mix. Lithium is always going to form part of that, and so therefore we really uh, believe in in that lithium as the primary um, battery metal or compound, it, 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 you know, that it's sold as. And you know, for us, we've been investing in these assets since two thousand thirteen. <clears throat> so we saw an advantage of us of getting educated in this space understanding processing, understanding where there were strategic advantages with the companies we invested in. And that's where our stakes remain in assets that we believe have strategic advantages on the cost curve. 
and you know lithium is part of our our you know dna as it were uh, and where we have invested and we will continue to look at assets if they are priced right and have strategic advantages fantastic thank you so anybody following following the uh the lithium market kieran will be aware that around sort of 2025 is uh is a key day because that's the point that forecasts have um, demand outstripping current supply. And, you know, of course, you know, we're looking at lithium prices and, you know, how they've reacted to that. And that's something that we'll touch on a bit later. But, you know, that date there around 2025, of course, there's, you know, there's a scramble to get lithium online. I mean, do you feel that, you know, with the activity that, that's going on, obviously you're, you're on the ground and you've, you've got a good knowledge of what's happening out there, you know, not only at, at Cadence, but, but other companies, I mean, do you think, you know, looking at those projections of demand for, for lithium going past 2025, is there any chance that we're going to get enough production online to meet that demand? I, I personally think, you know, we're already partly in a deficit um, and that's, you know, there's no really future futures position in lithium, if you want to call that. There is no future. There's no hedging. So the lithium pricing that is being quoted are based on, you know, physical contracts that are coming at the moment. So on the basis that that has accelerated quite dramatically, um, when we look at the lithium pricing from, you know, June 2018 was where it's, well, basically March 20 was where it hit its low point. And then subsequent to January 21, when it was sitting around, you know, $10,000 a tonne for lithium carbonate, lithium hydroxide, or, or there or there or thereabouts, hydroxide was always been higher, uh, carbonate sitting at 45,000, you know, that move, only can mean that there is limited supply um, and, and, you know, and therefore there is an increase in price. Um, and that's reflecting in electric vehicles. I think Tesla uh, is looking to increase its electric vehicle cost to the uh, to the retail market by about five, that five percent. Uh, but that's reflecting about a 20 percent increase in its battery cost driven by uh, not only lithium, but other assets like uh, nickel and, and, and cobalt. Um, so what I would say is, is that shortfall is already coming uh, or is already partly there. I, I think the biggest problem that people have failed to do or the market has failed to do and understand is, you know, a mining asset doesn't suddenly appear. It's not, a, it's not an on and off uh, button. And yes, there are assets that have developed quite substantially in this period. But, you know, if you're going from a greenfield to a... Uh, a fully producing asset that can take 10 years and you know 2025 you know just do the maths is, is less than 10 years away so there is going to be a shortage um, and what will probably happen is that will slow the penetration of electric vehicles not because there's a lack of demand um, there is already you know there are it is arguably at this point in time, even at the more expensive, you know, the, the electric vehicles, they are have reached purchase power, a purchase parity to a diesel and fuel-driven engine or diesel or, or petrol-driven engine. So the shortfall will occur. 2025, there will be shortfall. I think um, my personal view is that the lithium pricing will be still strong. All these elements will be still strong because these assets won't have come online. Um, but we won't. I think car manufacturers, um, OEMs have, you know, failed to really invest in those assets uh, and therefore they're going to find uh, a shortfall in being able to deliver sort of 100% of their sales in electric vehicles. So uh, there is a shortfall. How long that will continue will really depend 
on the investment that goes into new assets. Uh, I, I just want to give you like a really quick understanding. Um, look, if if we stay around 25% or 30% of, lift, of, of new electric new vehicles being wholly electric, um, there will still be a shortfall. To hit 100%, um, you have to realize that you have to be, you know, there's, I think there's 15 million vehicles a year sold in, in Europe overall, um, you know, small, small vehicles, not including trucks and stuff like that. You know, that would require basically 30, European metal holdings uh, size productions coming online by 2025. There are no in Europe alone. There are nowhere near that. And that would require in the order of uh, 20 to $25 billion worth of investment to achieve that. Because if you were to produce a mine and the processing plant to deliver that. So, and that, ha that isn't occurring. It's occurring in battery, battery manufacturer, but it's not recurring, occurring at the mine and exploration and development level. Uh, so yes, there will be a shortfall and there will continue to be a shortfall uh, for the foreseeable future. Whether it rectifies itself in 2030, um, I think people are suggesting it will do. Um, I certainly thought that in 2018, uh, you know, May 2018, we'd be hopefully looking that investment would occur and we wouldn't have this problem. But um, again, projects have been deferred, projects have been delayed and um, and it has resulted in the shortfall. So, you know, there's that five-year period there, Kieran, between 2025 and 2030, you mentioned there, where there's going to be a severe deficit of uh, of lithium. I mean, what, what's the risk to, to lithium that you know, manufacturers start to look for an alternative? I mean, is, is there a viable alternative? Because five years is a long time. And you're only moving electric and, and you have to move into cleaner forms of fuel um, in, in transports, you know, d does that, you know, that deficit there mean that, you know, manufacturers start to look for, for an alternative that then could you know, damage the, the long-term trajectory of, of lithium? Or is it the case that there simply isn't an alternative and we're just going to have to deal with that deficit until we get the uh, production online? So there are two points to this. And that, that, that if, if we look at, um, I'll tackle it in two ways. The first way is the incumbent investment that's occurred and the drop in, in the battery tech, drop in uh, the cost per kilowatt hour. So the cost per kilowatt hour is, is a measure um, by which, uh, you know, it costs to put a battery into, including all the processing, all the mining processing costs into your uh, electric vehicle. Uh, you know, electric vehicles about 35 to 40, 75 kilowatt hours as that's how they measure the size of is effectively the size of the tank. Um, so about 10 years ago, it was around $1,000 a kilowatt hour. In those 10 years, through the massive amount of capital investment that has occurred in lithium iron battery technology, it has dropped to, um, well, ju just, just before these increases in lithium prices, it's dropped to about $100 a kilowatt hour. And it's probably about $120 a kilowatt hour. So it's almost a tenfold decrease in the cost of producing your the biggest cost in an electric vehicle. So that um, has resulted, of course, in the drop in the retail prices of electric vehicles. Um, and you know, it's hard to imitate that over, over you know, five years. In addition to that, Lithium ion batteries, you know, the first one came out in 19, you know, was actually used on the moon rover, uh, the, the, la the landing of the moon rover 
in the 70s. And, you know, it's taken that time to get it, you know, perfected in terms of its chemistry, <clears throat> in terms of its efficiency. So I think it's going to be very hard in five years to imitate all that work, make sure it's a safe iron battery to be utilised in electric vehicles um, and, and to get at the cost down. So, you know, there we go. Let's, let's deal with that one point. The second point is actually in the element, lithium iron. Lithium is got the highest energy density of any element on the periodic table. So lithium utilized for electric vehicles. I'm not saying that we could use different forms of electrical uh, storage for green energy, you know, on a terrestrial basis, like on a piece of land, you can use sodium iron, you can use different types of batteries there because weight and size is not a problem. You know, for electric vehicles, and for, you know, lithium iron is really the only current cost efficient solution. So both on a cost basis, because the capital invested, also it's, it's on, <coughs> pardon me, on the elemental table, <clears throat> makes it very hard to replace. And lastly, <coughs> if we look at the capital that's been invested in all <coughs> the battery plants, pardon me, <coughs> I swallowed a frog. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and all the battery plants in Europe, North Vault's got 60 gigawatt hours, Freya's got 32 gigawatt hours, Cattel's done another 85 gigawatt hours. You know, there, there, are, multi, there, there are huge amounts of back investment that are going to occur in Europe in producing these battery plants. No one's going to suddenly write this off for a different technology. So there's so much capital with the train has moved out of the station and it's going headlong for lithium ion battery technology and electric vehicles. And whether it be the capital that's being committed for new battery plants, the, the, ele the clear elemental advantage that lithium has and the cost per kilowatt hour that lithium ion batteries have. If you take all those three, it is very hard to replace it even with a better technology in five years. Um, we only have to look at Betamax and VHS, you know, Betamax with far better technology in the end. But, the vested interest and the amount of capital invested in VHS and the content on VHS made it, uh, you know, it just overtook B Betamax. And there are plenty of other examples like that. Although I think lithium ion technology is the best technology for electrification of vehicles at this point in time. So I don't think there's going to be a replacement in five years and very simple. We're going to have a shortfall. Therefore, what will happen is that the penetration rate will slow. It's not going to be this J curve to 100%. In five years, it's going to be a bit of a J curve and then more of an S curve. So it slows down as we bring in new production, and then it will eventually get to, you know, whatever it is, eighty percent, seventy percent penetration in electric vehicles uh, over the long term. Fantastic, thank you. So, Kieran, let's now talk to uh, you know the prices that uh, that we see out there in the market. As I said at the beginning, we're looking at you know levels on the LME for lithium hydroxide above eighty thousand dollars per ton and that's up sharply over the last month you, you know and that obviously speaks to what you've just said there that there is no alternative for the ev uh, revolution it's going to have to be lithium but you know in your, your view looking at the price in the market out there are things you know are they getting ahead of themselves or, or is this a real reflection that you know yes in 2025 we're going to have a big deficit and we could actually see lithium prices go higher from here yeah, so, so I think, you know, two things to be very aware here, you know, lithium compounds are not a fungible 
a tradable commodity. Um, you know, each manufacturer or of batteries will want a different special mix of lithium carbonate, lithium hydroxide. So, so these are not futures. You can't sit there and say, oh, I'm going to buy a power load of lithium hydroxide and keep one. You can't do that with hydroxide. It depletes over a period of time. And I'm going to let it sit in a warehouse and then I'm going to sell it on the basis, I think, that, uh, in, in a year or even five months because I think the price is going up. One, the producer of the lithium hydroxide will never provide a guarantee to the adventure seller. It has to go. It is directly. This is not a traditional, you know, tin or copper or even iron ore where you can it goes through intermediaries. It literally goes from the mine on a contract basis to the end user, i.e. the battery manufacturer or the uh, convert, uh, you know, or the um, in the case of Australian assets to the um, the roaster who then turns it into lithium hydroxide carbonate, who then sells it onto the battery manufacturer. So these prices aren't speculative prices. Um, there is there isn't a speculative market. These are actual contractual prices that are being exchanged at the moment. So it's not a reflection of a future. It's a reflection of right today, right now. Um, do I think that uh, this will uh, continue to rise, will continue to move at a much, much higher prices? As I said, I think there is, as demand, as we get more supply and there's huge incentivization to get supply on, it does take time. The prices will soften. Um, but, you know, as far as Cadence is concerned and its investments, all of its investments has have effectively utilized substantially lower, I think about $11,000 to $17,000 per tonne in its NPV calculations of the assessment of these assets. So uh, where it will settle, will it be 20, 25? Who knows at this point in time, because it is an extraordinary time in this market. But I certainly think these peak, you know, I've actually got it probably closer to $50,000 a, a ton in, 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 uh, in using benchmark minerals pricing and not the 60, 70. Um, and I think those prices will retain or may go higher in the short term, but eventually they'll come off as some more assets come online in the next two to three years. Fantastic. So, Kieran, you mentioned there are obviously different forms of uh, of lithium and different requirements of manufacturers. You know, not all manufacturer is looking for the same uh, form of, of lithium and, you know, in, in the same mix. So, I mean, that leads on to the question now about sort of looking at global um, production of, of lithium. And I just want to speak now about, you know, how that varies, because, of course, you know, you mentioned their European Metals Holdings. You know, that's uh, that's an asset here in Europe. But from my understanding, that there's a there's a big difference between um, exploring and, and obviously mining for, for lithium here in Europe compared to Australia, um, for example. I mean, how is that impacting the market at the moment? You know, is there a, a sweet spot, you know, maybe a geography uh, for, for lithium at the moment? Or are we sort of looking at, you know, different markets developing at, at different times and obviously different uh, geological uh, makeups impacting the the prices, and maybe you know this is obviously sort of going into the manufacturing side of things. You know, are we are we seeing different requirements in terms of uh, you know what we want in geographies for the manufacturer? I mean, for example, you know, in in America, is there a different requirement than it, that maybe there is in Europe for that the manufacturer of, of lithium and lithium batteries. So uh, I think we'll, let, let's start from right at, you know, 
the production side of the raw material. Really, at the moment, there are two major producers of lithium products. Now, let's not talk about the final carbonite or hydroxide in the world. They are the salars of, of, of Chile. So these are uh, areas in which we've had, um, you know, salars are dried out player lakes in which there has been enrichment through geological processes of various salts and, and lithium salts have been one of those. And that has, um, you know, been a traditional source of lithium carbonate. And there is both a technical grade lithium carbonate um, and a, a battery grade technical grade around 99%, which is a whole other market. You know, that's used in um, everything from, you, you know, glass, uh, particularly glass and other bits and pieces like that. And that's, you know, a market on its own. And that price has also got, got, uh, uh, increased. So, and there are main players in there that, that are these places like think companies like Albemarle, SQM, who, who really deal with with those uh, those assets. Then predominantly, and that occurred in sort of 2017, 2016, where we had this uh, explosion. <clears throat> actually, 2015, this explosion of what we'll call hard rock deposits. Now, these hard rock deposits are pegmatites, and these have been enriched through fluids and, you know, you often get tin and tantalum associated with them and lithium in what, what well, I'm a geologist background, so with these granitoid environments. And these pegmatites in Australia are predominantly mined. Uh, they're concentrated or beneficated up to, let's call it, uh, you know, a 6% ore of lithium oxide. That's then sent to China uh, and then processed in a process of effectively uh, heating it up and sulfur and a sulfur, a sulfuric acid roast, and then that produces a through several other processing stages a lithium carbonate or lithium hydroxide uh, product um, that then can utilise in battery product products. So in Australia, they basically tend at this point in time a bit like they do with iron ore, produce the iron ore, ship it to China. China delivers, you know, steel in this case, delivers a lithium carbonate, lithium hydroxide. In Chile, they're able to produce, because of the nature of the deposit, a lithium carbonate or hydroxide concentrate already, and it might need to be improved uh, to take it to battery grade um, through further processing. So those are the really two sort of big sources. And there's been a scramble around the world of finding either similar salars, different ways of extracting it, um, you know, and so, you know, gone down some, let's call it less traditional uh, lines. Uh, European Metal Holdings is one of them where that is actually previously a tin deposit. It's a, a very large granite intrusion with tin and, uh, but it's a hard rock. It's not a pigmatite, it's just a granitite, massive granitoid um, uh, disseminated uh, lithium and tin uh, project, which is, you know, multi-generational, uh, one of the largest um, lithium deposits in Europe. And that also will, but that's not going to send its concentrate to China. It is going to, in Europe, produce a lithium hydroxide and lithium carbonate. And I think there is a need or a, a, a twist in geopolitics where they want both the mining to occur in the continent, like in Europe, if they can, if they have enough resources, and to produce the final product, the lithium carbonate, and to take that lithium carbonate and take it to a battery within Europe. So the supply chain is within that continent. That's the same in, in America, that's certainly the case. They're looking to do that. And they do have pegmatites and, and, and other, but they're looking to basically keep that within 
the whole supply chain within the continent. And our two investments or two large investments that we have, um, we bought that supply chain from effectively um, the mining of it to producing the lithium carbonate. Um, and that's in our holdings in European Metal Holdings and our joint venture with Gang Feng Lithium in, uh, in this Nor Lithium project in, in Mexico. So it, it, it's, it's a complex story, but in essence, what we're going to see is these two tra traditional players will still be there, Australia producing pegmatite concentrate, shifting it off to um, China for processing. Um, and China and Korea will, is where the battery manufacturing has traditionally occurred, and that's where a lot of the gigafactories are occurring. But that will now move more Europe-centric and more US-centric. I would say the European Battery Alliance has done amazing for uh, works for that, and and you know, and they have really pushed uh, building battery capacity in terms of battery manufacturing plants in Europe, and therefore they're now also looking to source the material if they can within Europe, so the lithium carbonate, and therefore the mining Europe. Unfortunately, Europe doesn't have, you know. 30 uh, EMHs lying around um, in, in terms of the type of you know, resources that they need for 100% electrification. But you know, they can then source them for elsewhere in the world um, as well, maybe even buying the product from Australia. You know, that's also a possibility. So um, I think it will be more local, um, you know, Africa, um, Brazil, that's why they'll look at because the shipping distances are shorter. But you know, those are basically we've got these two incumbent countries, and now more localization of you can see in Europe, you can see in America of the, the market trying to shift to basically have a value chain within respective continents rather than having to ship it all around the world. That's very interesting, yeah, Kieran. Thank you. So now let's. Have a look at the cadence portfolio. You, you did allude there that you that you have two assets. Um, you know, of course, um, uh, the the partnership there with Gang Fen and uh, European Metals. Would you have to give listed a little bit more detail um, to those and where they sort of fit into the global picture of uh, the lithium market? Yeah, so uh, European Metals Holdings, we, we have an eight point two percent stake in that. They're a listed entity, and we have a public equity stake in that, uh, not in not at the joint venture. They you know, we invested that early days when it was a pre-resource. You knew it was a tin asset. It floated as well as a tin and a lithium asset. Uh, you know, it's got a net present value of 1.94 billion. The annual production is about 29,000 tonnes of lithium hydroxide. That's what they're looking to target in, at the PFS level. Um, that is probably equivalent to around half a million cars a year, if you want to put that in concept. Um, and it's got a jork resource of 7.4 million tonnes of LCE. So, you know, the PFS highlights only goes for 20 year one, 21 year mine life. You know, it could be a 70 year mine life if they were to convert more of those resources into uh, reserves. Um, the capital costs around $800 million to develop this. And that's both the mine and processing plant. Sometimes people compare the Australian assets to this and they make a very wrong comparison because the Australian assets is only doing effectively the mine and benefication getting it a half of the way to the lithium hydroxide. It then has to go to China to be um, converted to lithium hydroxide or lithium carbonate. So if you, you know, this value chain is, as I said, the integrated all the way from the mine to producing the final product, that has the advantage that you're not paying third parties and therefore our operating cost 
including the credits, around $3,400 a tonne per tonne of lithium hydroxide. Um, you know, and we talked about, you know, prices of $40,000 a tonne uh, per tonne of lithium hydroxide at the moment. So it's less than the tenth of the cost. The NPV was based on uh, $17,000 a tonne. So it is a big deposit, multi-generational, a large enough production at 29,000 tonnes uh, of lithium hydroxide a year. And it's in the Czech Republic, which is really key when we look at, you know, the, you know, gigawatt hours that are going to be installed in in um in Europe as a whole, this sort of would 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 service about a 25 gigawatt hour um sort of a battery a manufacturing plant. And and that and if I look at the list here, uh that's barely than than less than a tenth of that's required by what European the Europe where manufacturers are looking to produce their gig, you know, their battery plants. So it is a, a significant, large project. It's in a secure environment. It's already fully funded to the investment decision by its JV partner, Ches, uh, which own 51% of the asset. So that's going really well. <clears throat> and we certainly look forward to seeing uh, the bankable feasibility uh, completed and then financing and construction. Uh, we also have <clears throat> the Sonora Lithium project, which is, again, very large, 35,000 tonnes per annum of lithium carbonate, about 500,000, that's about enough for 500,000 vehicles of lithium carbonate, per capital costs of eight, 728 million, operating costs of $3,000 per tonne, again, of lithium carbonate, about against a backdrop of $40,000 per tonne of, of sales. The lithium carbonate prices that they utilise in their net present value was $11,000 and that had an NPV of 800 million. Similar size, Similar mine life. In this, we don't have an, uh, to 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 Yang uh, to the um, European Metals Holding project. In this, we don't have an equity stake. We have a um, joint venture on one of the areas, uh, which only gets mined in years eight to nineteen. So it's much later in the mine life. Um, um, and and you know we're seeing what Gang Feng are going to do with this asset whether they want to expand it or increase production to a much quicker, which would bring that mine life earlier. But, you know, that we're in much, very much Gang Feng's hand, hands here on how they look to develop that Sonora Lithium project. So those are our two primary ones that we, we hold. And I think one thing that, you know, we recently did um, was that we had this very early exploration project in Australia, northern Australia, a pegmatite target. Um, which is this rock that hosts lith uh, can host uh, um, lithium minerals, um, and with the idea that you know from Australia these often get converted into a lithium concentrate, a six percent lithium oxide concentrate that gets shipped off to China to produce a final product. Uh, why we you know we we got involved with this about three or four years ago it was part of our strategy to get more management you know get more active in private assets. We've taken 31% of this asset, uh, but we've agreed to um, sell it uh, to a third party where effectively <clears throat> we get cash and equity in the new company and performance, uh, but performance pay payments based on their success in drilling this out and delivering, you know, a 12 million tonne um, asset, at a, you know, a 12 million tonne asset in terms of resources of lithium oxide. 
Um, there's a, there's, I think there's a high probability they'll be able to achieve some of those targets, partly because of it's where it is. It's right next to um, this asset owned by Core Lithium, which has got, I think, off the top of my turn, uh, top of my head, around 17 million tons at 1.2% lithium oxide. So um, it's a that's a massive deposit, and it's uh, I think. Uh, core lithium's capitalized at around a billion dollars at, at the moment or there or thereabouts Australian. So we've both in that case, because we wanted to didn't take the risk, we didn't want to put much capital into there. We've let someone else take the risk who are going to invest $4 million. They're committed to invest $4 million to prove up a resource over the next three years. We've got our cash back from our original investment and we're exposed to the upside in the equity in the new company, which uh, intends to be listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Um, we still have to complete that transaction. Uh, we've entered into binding terms. Um, and once the DD is completed and regulatory approvals, uh, we, will, we will announce our the completion. Yeah, so those are our three lithium assets, as it were. So Kieran, people are interested to know, because you know, obviously you're looking there at, at a sale of, uh, of an asset. You, you know, is, is this, you know, the pre proceeds from that, is there a possibility that you look for, for another lithium um, asset? Or are you happy with the two that you've got there at the moment? Um, at the moment, we're quite happy with the two that, that we have. Um, I think with this lithium pricing environment, as I said, there's some uncertainty of how long this is going to stay at that level. Is it going to go further north? And I think we're a bit nervous about some of the pricing of projects. So um, in terms, they might be slightly overvalued and really us to deliver shareholder value we have to find projects that are cheap <clears throat> which are harder and harder to come by um, or in such a distress situation like with a mapper where we have to resolve a, a effectively a judicial restructuring uh, that we we can uh, unlock value by sorting that out when there is a fundamental good asset behind it and those are hard to come by and if they're cheap, they're sometimes in locations that we don't necessarily want to invest uh, because of the political uh, and um, political and country risk. So at the moment, you know, we got our money back and it wasn't a huge amount in terms of what we had invested. We'd only invested £600,000 in this case. So we got that. The rest is upside. So actually, by doing this transaction, we haven't sold our asset. We've sold part. We've, 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 the asset's been sold and reversed into a new company in which we've got a cash consideration and we've got exposure to that company's success. So hopefully, assuming it completes, we'll have actually exposure to three lithium assets um, um, through our equity stake in the new company that has bought or is in the process of buying Synergy Prospecting. Fascinating, fascinating. Um, Kieran, thank you very much. So just to finish off now, um, understand that you're not long back from Brazil. Um, and your MAPA iron ore project, of course, your your flagship project. Is there any updates that you can um, give us here on you know what's been happening there and what investors can be looking forward to from uh, a MAPA? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So as you rightly pointed out, I was, I was out there last week, mainly to deal with uh, the pre-feasibility study. That's one of our key goals to get that delivered as quick as possible. I'm ha happy to say that it's it's progressing um, on time um, and, and uh, on budget. Uh, so we certainly expect that uh, during um, early early half of next uh, of this year, early second half of this year, so July time, uh, during July, uh, we'll, we should be able to publish a PFS, a pre feasibility study on the asset. 
and uh, that has, uh, you know, and it's progressing well. The team are executing, of course, the continued rehabilitation, liaising with the license, uh, you know, in, in relation to licenses, getting those licenses reinstated with uh, SEMA, which is the state environmental authority. So that's progressing well on the bi-weekly meetings that we have with them. And, you know, it, it, the, the, the advantage of this asset, of course, is because it already has that infrastructure, the capital cost to redevelop it is not going to be as expensive as a new asset. Um, a new asset of this, this size, from rail, port, um, and, and the mine would probably cost about $1.5 to $2 billion to, to construct from a new. And we're going to be nowhere near those, those figures. Um, uh, the PFS will highlight what those should be, but it'll be a fraction of that cost. And, um, and, you know, we still, but with that, we still have responsibilities like dam maintenance, uh, plant maintenance, security. So all of that is ongoing and is progressing really well. In addition, you, you know, we've, we've just started uh, reshipping, uh, just started shipping material again from our stockpiles uh, or dev stockpiles. There's about 1.25 million tons of stockpiles there, which we, you know, if the economic environment stays the same, we'll con dev will continue to ship. Um, and uh, generate revenue from that to pay the secured bank creditors. As for targets on that asset, I think I've got very clear targets. Um, the first is completion of the pre-feasibility study. The second for us is this asset's got about, a, uh, at the moment, about, we believe, about 15-year mine life. We want to try and extend that. And how do we do that? Uh, there's been historic joint venture operating agreements between uh, Dev Minerasal and Tucano, which is a proximal gold mine with the right to take out the, the iron ore from there. So we're gonna see if one, uh, you know, we reestablish those joint ventures and two, um, you know, see if we can determine a resource around that area. Um, and that hopefully increase the mine life for five to 10 years. That's a hope rather than a definitive. Um, and so those two targets on an operational basis um, and define, um, you know, I think we, we have a first right of refusal to go to 49% on this asset and we want to define how much that will cost us by uh, negotiating that with um, Indosign RJV partners. So those are the three targets that we certainly would look to try and achieve uh, in the coming year as big targets. There will be, of course, updates on progress of various other things, but those are the three big ones we'll want to define this year. Thank you, Kieran. A truly fascinating uh, discussion there. And uh, anybody listening to the podcast and wants to know a little bit more about Cadence Minerals, there will be a link through to their website in the notes. Um, so do uh, so do follow that and have uh, have a look, and you'll be able to explore a little bit more about that, the projects there that uh, that Kieran uh, kindly outlined. Um, so Kieran, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, you're welcome. Thank you very much. So just as a you know a, a final note here to listeners, um, as we mentioned at the beginning, Kieran did present at the Metals and Mining Conference uh, back in February, which is accessible through the UK Investor Magazine video section uh, on our website. So do check that out uh, again for some more details and, and background to Cadence Minerals. Thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.